0: Hello, Gavones. A uh, quick note before we start the show. Hog Planet has a Patreon now. It's at patreon.com slash hog We're not searchable because apparently we're explicit. Why support Hog Planet? We want to use this platform to showcase writers, activists, content creators we believe in, all of which uh, cost money. We want to pay our guests. So we're launching this Patreon so we can cover business expenses like paying our guests. And maybe pay ourselves a little something for hours that we put into producing podcasts. We've been doing this since 2017 at a loss, so we really want to... Try to, you know, break even. <laughs> What's in it for you if you subscribe? Uh, as a reward for uh, monthly support, patrons receive bonus content, including the endings to longer episodes, as well as patron exclusive videos, podcasts, original artwork, and more. We also encourage patrons to contribute to the Hog Discourse by voting in Hog of the Month polls and suggesting episode topics. And of course, you receive Sam and my undying gratitude. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Hog Planet, the podcast where we weigh, tag, and degrade all of the various hogs—the oversatiated people who overrun our culture and politics. And I've got to be honest. Uh, well, I'm Dan Spaventa, uh, joined as always by my good friend Sam Lewis. Uh, Sam, how you doing this evening?
1: I'm hanging in, starting to get to that DC heat these days uh where you don't really want to go outside for too long, keeping like the dog walks as short as possible, but you know, other than that doing the same old same old.
0: Yeah, man, I uh I had to unplug my f- my uh, giant like fan I bought today uh because I didn't want to fuck up the recording, so I'm going to sweat a lot during this. <laughs> um we're joined by honestly one of our favorite podcasters and he's cool as hell and we're going to you're going to learn all about him if you don't know him already. This is uh, Brian Quinby, Murder Brian on Twitter. Uh, Brian, how are you?
2: Hey, I'm great. I have air conditioning in the room that I record in, so uh, I will be very comfortable while I'm recording.
0: Yeah, if I lose a layer or two during this, I apologize. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Sam, why don't you introduce Brian to what the hell our show is? Because, you know, sure, absolutely. Might as well.
1: Yeah, on-, on Hog Planet, we discuss all the kind of self-satiated hogs running around in politics and pop culture sometimes they're people we like but uh, more often than not it's people we despise uh definitely with the recent uprisings and Acab spring it's become something where we talk a lot about what the police are doing they're honestly kind of like at the top of the pyramid as far as self-satiated hogs who uh want to keep this whole shitty system going for their own benefit uh you know with total disregard for the rest of us so yeah it's a show where we talk about i mean just very self-satisfied people it's definitely something endemic to american culture but we are afraid that it has gone worldwide it has gone viral in the pandemic age so uh it's something that we're here to discuss in depth with uh ourselves and of course illustrious guests
2: yeah it's uh, uh it is Worldwide, I think there's assholes everywhere, but we have the largest concentration yeah. of, of these yes. types of people. It, it's fucking horrible here.
0: <laughs> so, Brian, could you talk a little bit about like, what you do on Street Fight? Because I feel like it so much ties into the kind of people we talk about, but you're, you, you do more of a... like You've called it a lifestyle show, so could you just talk about <laughs> a little bit about Street Fight for the general... In audience well, here?
2: I mean, I came up listening to a lot of like uh uh shock jock stuff, like and those shows are political, but like not overtly. <laughs> bad politics. Yeah, they're they're bad politics, but you know, like Opie and Anthony talked about politics sometimes, but they also talked about like, you know, their life and stuff like that. And uh my show started out as a show where we talked about politics and covered sort of uh, news stories and um as time has gone on it has kind of morphed into what i I think is like just really the goal of street fight is to kind of articulate what life is like in American capitalism specifically like uh uh we're just trying to explain you know what a regular person's life is you know I i uh, you know Dan knows I'm like a kind of I'm a radio like geek obviously
0: oh he is a junkie i mean sam and i both listen to shocktober so we know um you 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 love this stuff i don't know how you listen to all this stuff and on
2: top of that i did the sports talk show and and stuff like that like i'm just a junkie for it and i sort of never felt like those shows ever got it right like none of them did none of those shows ever got anything right and you would think they would have been able to to at least explain the reactionary kind of uh uh guy in his 20s to 30s what his life is like and they couldn't even do that you know so it was just a show born out of me and and uh my partner brett sort of having these conversations about uh just things like uh uh not paying our bills on time and setting up payment arrangements hating your
0: bosses i mean you were i never heard anyone talk about that kind of stuff before you know corporate corporate podcasts are never going to have guys saying fuck your boss
2: yeah yeah and and for the real for the reasons that you would sort of cuz like a lot of radio guys were like oh the pd's an asshole he's, he's coming down on me but it was like for us it was more like uh uh You know, your boss at your fucking job that you make like eight dollars an hour to throw boxes in the back of a truck is a lot different than, you know, when you're I was a cable guy when I was listening to a lot of these radio shows. And it's like, oh, they complain so much about their fucking job. But, like, I'm out here climbing fucking poles, and it's 90 fucking degrees outside. I work
0: at SiriusXM. Their jobs are the easiest jobs in the world. They show up for three hours and then go home.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, I've learned that that now. Like, (laughs) after listening, (laughs) I've noticed the amount of work that's put into a lot of those shows now.
0: (laughs) I guess one thing we wanted to start with was, I figure something you do on Street Fight is... Like, the umbrella thing you've been doing, I feel like, on your Patreon uh, series, the, the, the s- several ones you've done, the, you did one uh, American Podcast on Kid Rock. The current one is Holy Boys on the uh, uh, Evangelical Preachers. Shocktober, which was Shock Shocks. Uh, and then the P.O.D. cast, which is uh, not Street Fight, but it's kind of kind of adjacent uh, about uh, new metal. I feel like you're documenting, and Sam put it this way, like, a new American religion.
1: Yeah, I I can unpack that a little bit um, just for context. But um, it's like people, this is a religious country. I mean, whatever. It was founded by pilgrims and like Puritans and separatists, like complete religious fundamentalists. But uh, what I mean by like when I say that you're documenting the like an American religion with these kinds of uh, with these series on different, um, you know, cultural phenomenons, it's sort of like, I mean, obviously the 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 mega pastors are like actual religious, you know, men of the cloth or so they say. And um, but outside of that, I mean, I think sports casters, I think like shock jocks, they form like this backbone of like American culture and like what like average people do regularly for like uh like in a in a quasi religious way i mean a lot of people i think it's kind of hacky to say like sports fills this vibe but i think it is true that um going to you know watching the football game on sunday is like a religion for a lot of people i think that's also why like with this with the covid shutdown and people um you know av- like regular i guess uh sports programming not being a thing people are really kind of going crazy without that i think that was like when the NBA canceled the season, everyone was like, oh, this is like a very real pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it was like a very real <laughs> disruption of like... Yeah, their that was re- like
0: the moment. That was the moment when it all changed, when, yeah, the the NBA thing.
1: Exactly. and And I mean, part of that has also been people who are like, oh, I can't go to church or, you know... I I will go to church and Jesus will protect me from the coronavirus or whatever. But um but yeah, it's like you're tapping into this kind of like like the like I said sort of like the backbone of like American culture that's like it's not uh it's not always overtly religious. Obviously the pastors are kind of an exception to that, but it is like something that's just crucial to what's going on in the country. I don't know.
2: It's something that's not coastal, I guess. Like uh I think that's why I think that's why people really like sort of like you know with american podcasts and shocktober uh is kind of a a coastal thing uh most of the shock jocks are are very popular in like new york dc philly la some of them uh uh bubba was popular in florida and stuff man cow yeah well he's a midwest guy right (laughs) chicago right yeah but yeah these guys like they were so influential to the culture though and i think a lot of people don't even know that necessarily like i don't think anybody thinks that opie and anthony had like much of an impact on the culture but if you pay attention to comedy their impact their footprint is fucking massive
0: you go on those YouTube clips and it's like, I mean, the Patrice stuff is always great, but like, you know, the the names in there are all these people that you've that are giga- giants now, like Bill Burr.
2: Also helped people form the ideology that ended up that they helped us get where we are. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't think it's a stretch to say that, like, you know, some mix between like new metal shock jocks. And and like religion and conservatism and sports got us to the point where we're at right now in our culture.
0: I want to just mention how, uh, as in New York, uh, you know, grew up in the tri-state area. Your coverage of Mike Francesa, I think, was uh, tremendous. And I was interested in how like you you liked him, but you kind of hated him, too, (laughs) because that was always how growing up it was.
2: I kind of like, I like all the guys I cover mostly. I I was very, uh, I found Jim Rome to be very off-putting. But, like, I get to this thing where, like, the hours that I listen to some of these people, especially the shock jocks, because, like, technically I don't consider Holy Boys a deep dive, you know? Uh, I consider it me and my friend just talking about a different preacher every week. But with Shocktober, I feel like a real sense of a duty to get this right and to fully completely understand these guys in a way that no, almost nobody else gets. And like with, uh, uh, with the shock jocks, it was like, okay. So like I listened to Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony for ye- years for, from like 2000, probably from like 1997 to 2010 or something, I would say, is about... I think that's about like when Anthony uh, uh, broke his
1: brain because Obama was president,
2: I would say.
1: <laughs> to be fair, he wasn't the only one.
0: The final straw.
2: Right. Yeah, but it was roughly about a decade listening to them guys and Howard Stern and being tangentially aware of the other guys that I would end up covering. Uh, so I... I really put a lot of work into, with Man Cow, Bubba the Love Sponge, and Tom Likas, I put a lot of work into trying to listen to that much of them, too. So, I started last April on that show, and it didn't start until October.
0: Yeah, how many, how many months was it of, of just listening?
2: It was April, May, June, July, August. It was five, five and a half months of six or seven, really, because I listened as I did it, too. But that was all I was listening to. Were shock jocks. I, I mean, most of it was like Man Cow, uh, Bubba the Love Sponge, and Tom Lycus because those were the guys I weren't as familiar with. But yeah, I spent a, about seven months like listening to nothing but that stuff because I felt like this is something I want to get right, and this is something that like I I I think that I think that those guys informed a lot of young white men Mm. like their politics all come from sort of that sphere of entertainment that like when i do live shows when you're able to do those when i do live shows i have people walk up to me that are in their 20s I have people that walk up to me in their 20s that say, I can't believe that many people listen to the radio. I can't believe how influential that stuff was to people, to like women who were like, I didn't even like know this stuff was going on. You know, like I didn't even know these shows existed. So it was like, it is like I'm picking up a rock and sort of flashing a flashlight underneath this rock to show people what was, hey, y'all see what's going on over here too? (laughs)
1: And then, like bugs scur- scurry away when you lift up the rock, uh, you know, running from the light or whatever. But um, yeah,
2: and I mean, like they
0: are are uh, like a guy like I don't know, they're archetypes. I feel the Bill Simmons one was really interesting because he definitely was the mo- most like professional guy out of all, a lot of the people you covered. It felt like, but still, just comes off like such an ignorant like moron,
2: right? I think it took an ignorant guy to make it in media at that point though. Like I I do think those guys all were like had a very specific skill, a very specific set of skills these guys had <laughs> in order to get noticed and picked up and uh be made millionaires in the mainstream media. And and like there's that's they were like by virtue of being all that was there They were huge, and you can even see how their influence has waned so
0: much in just the past five years. Yeah, look up Opie's podcast numbers.
2: Oh yeah, I don't even like looking at those. I
0: know that. I I, I, yeah, don't don't look. It's really sad. sad.
2: (laughs) But it is. It's like even when I start thinking about Howard Stern's numbers. Right? Like Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Bill Simmons is a guy that's a little bit more of a uh uh interesting because he is like I feel like almost every dude uh listens to him for a period of time. Like a lot of people I sure did. did. Yeah. 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 And uh also there's a veneer of intelligence when you're a dumb guy where you're like, this guy's smart.
0: But he has those dumb guy intellectuals on, like, how many times is Malcolm Gladwell or, uh, I mean, you know, he has these, like, all these annoying fucking egghead guys on just because he's like, oh, this is a smart guest.
1: The veneer right there is the key word, like the veneer of intelligence, because, um... I mean, you, you on that episode where you talked about Bill Kit Simmons, you did talk about like one of my all-time favorite Malcolm Gladwell clips, which is when he expounds on his theory about how like Nigerians are naturally better at basketball or something <laughs> like that. And even Bill, and he's even wrong. Even Bill Simmons is like, "Are you gonna give me in trouble with this? <laughs> like, what are you doing?" I I don't know. Malcolm Gladwell, I, I, he's someone we do want to cover on this show because uh, he's kind of his own type of hog but um but yeah he's definitely like the key dumb guy intellectual
2: i read freakonomics and his book blink when i was you know finding my way in the world this is like sort of pre street fight time uh um you know i went through this really wild like in 2004 i was uh uh a, for george no, I was John Kerry, right? Like, I wanted John Kerry to win in
1: 2004.
0: It's like all you wanted really badly was for, like, John Kerry to, like, not get, like, shamed about his Vietnam record. Oh, my God, the Swift Boats.
2: Yes, and then in the, in the years after that, something happened where I started paying attention to politics, but it ended up being, like, uh, uh, it got me into Ron Paul. For a short amount of time, and I believe that's because Ron Paul said he would legalize heroin, and he was anti-war. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I like all that stuff. Cool. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, you know, I really, I, in the same election cycle, I, was, I voted for Ron Paul in a primary and voted for Barack Obama for president and believed that he was a communist that was going to change the fucking world, you know? And uh, that didn't end up being the case. So um, that's how my show got started. That's how I got where I am to the like, I got way to the left because I didn't even realize you could get there,
0: you know? Right. And the left podcast scene that you helped cre- kind of create, not obviously not only you, but you helped a lot of people get their shows uh, up and running was like, it's kind of that first time that there is a sort of actual left media that, you know, isn't just as academic maybe.
2: Yeah, it, it's dumb guys talking about politics, which I think, like, uh, uh, the right wing figured out a long time ago that works, you know? And uh, yeah. uh, we had to... F- I, I think the left had to kind of figure out, like, people want to be entertained. And, and, like, you can get... And I don't see my show as, like, an activism sort of thing, but I do see it, and I see Chapo and a few of the other people in, in, that, in this sphere as, like, a sort of firewall between those people and what could be much worse, you know?
0: And I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, like, since the George Floyd like uprising, you know, the Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, since all of these things happened uh, very fast uh, and people started actually doing something about it, I, I don't know, it seems like the left podcasts are some of the only places where you can get actual information that's not just, like, shaming the looters. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we're we used to that, though. Like, we, we've been sort of... Uh, uh, we had to do that during the 2012 election. We had to, you know, we had to fight about anarchists showing up to the election. And during the, like, uh, 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 2016 election, we were all going against the grain, too. And it's just, like, we're all prepared to go toe-to-toe. We're, like, all prepared to go and defend... The actions of regular people like in any case And like a defense of looting is like maybe the most easy thing in the world, but you'll never hear it on CNN. <laughs> you know?
0: Right. It's like the, the focus on looting is absolutely just, uh, you know, rich people shit. It's like who gives a fuck? It's all insured.
2: Right. That's the thing. I don't care. Like, that's the other thing is like. A uh, a uh, uh, a lot of people get like nuts about oh I can't believe these people are stealing from small businesses and I'm like I don't I don't even fucking care about that I don't care <laughs> if anything gets stolen from like we're ta- I see it as taking something from the people that took my city away from me like some one of the things that they say and I've I've seen this in a lot of Columbus Ohio message boards not message like facebook groups and stuff like that is like why are they destroying our beautiful city and it's like because it's not our fucking city you know like none
0: of us yeah they're they're the ones were armed yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah.
1: no i i I live in dc and um a lot of people were like especially because dc does have a lot of protests but it is not that common for them to involve property damage or like destruction of government property, which definitely was uh, a big part of it in the beginning of one of the only
2: times I protested in DC. There was property damage.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's like a (laughs) J 20. It's a thing that happened. It's a, um, I don't know. This is a city that's used to having protests, used to having like activism go on. And um, yeah, the, the rules here are pretty lenient. Um, there's no cash bail in DC, which is really unique. And then they also, you, you're you like legally allowed to like stop traffic and a lot of other things that you don't need, necessarily need a permit for. But um Watching everyone freak out so much because um, you know, I, I work in downtown DC and people were like, the men's warehouse next to our uh <laughs> next to our office was smashed to pieces. Like it's such a tragedy. I was like, I don't care about the men's warehouse at all. Of all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Also have to mention who is wearing a suit this year, like like nobody anyway. Yeah, and, and also uh. the um but yeah, there was
1: a the thing I was thinking about. Like it's what well, you said, like it's not our city, like Downtown D.C. is basically like government buildings and then like an open air mall more or less like it's got like Nordstrom Rack and all these other like things that you can basically find in like any big downtown these days or just any mall in the suburbs. I'm like, how do you feel any kind of like kinship to that. Like this it's so telling that they were you know, people at like my office were more freaked out about damage against like a men's warehouse and a Sephora or whatever than they are about like the underlying issue that is inspiring the, the protest and the uprising.
2: Yeah, I made the comment that like when the mayors and the police chiefs and the city council say, How can you do this to our beautiful city? They literally mean their beautiful
0: city (laughs) yeah legit you're right uh brooklyn uh i I can't even get started on how ridiculous the cops have been here but
2: i mean they've been pretty bad here they've
0: been escalating over the past couple nights so and we we wanted to ask you about about that um but before we do i just have one more question about these various uh series you do and again if you're interested in hearing brian talk about shock jocks uh sports radio guys uh kid rock
2: the door's
0: the, the, the door is coming up with brace right very exciting
2: with brace belden from true and on podcast we're gonna be talking about the doors baby
0: <laughs> oh my god i can't wait for that um so that you just got to go to street fight on pa- street fight radio on patreon and uh this uh, this other project you do with john cullen pod cast um i need to ask you about system of a down because i got made fun of a lot in college for liking them still because and i think i was connected with them because of the like left wing message that a lot of the music has so i was i i have heard your episode on system of a down but could you just expound on how they were like kind of like actually like a fairly left wing band
2: yeah they were pretty left i mean the thing about them is they get a lot more credit for being political than i think they maybe deserve but they were saying things uh, about the armenian genocide uh uh and the prison song i think the num- the first song on toxicity i i sort of feel like that's a really important metal song because it it says the words like there's no uh uh there's no it's not poetic or anything was it, it like
0: is- mandatory minimum sentences yeah. what, what, what is this what is the line
2: while research and successful drug policy shows that treatment should be increased and law enforcement decreased by abolish and abolishing mandatory minimum sentences
0: <laughs> it's and like a couple, of we- <laughs> yeah. a couple of weeks ago i tweeted out um that line from byob why don't presidents fight the war why do they always send the poor and that was like a charting hit single so it's like and i was in like eighth grade and that, i was listening to that so it's like I don't know. I feel like this band and, you know, new Metal uh, doesn't get the respect it deserves. No, nah, it doesn't sometimes. deserve
2: any respect. Trust me. Like, <laughs> listen to the P.O.D. cast. It deserves exactly the amount of respect it gets. No, I mean, I think that there were three or four really good bands there. And then... Uh, what were they? The label signed... I mean, Korn, I think, is actually a good band. I, I would argue that they've done more good albums than bad albums. And their newest one's great. So they didn't lose it, you know. Uh, uh, I think Deftones are actually one of the best metal bands in ever. Like, just, I can't think of a, a, a metal band that has more universal respect. And uh, I think uh, Incubus turned out okay, but, like, they kind of ran away from it. And uh, I don't think Limp Bizkit's all that bad. Those are the four, I think, that I think... Uh, they did okay for themselves. But Deftones, I, Deftones and Korn, to me, are the two most kind of... You, you look at Deftones and Korn, I think they deserve some measure of respect.
0: Yeah, definitely. Did, did you watch the Fred Durst, uh, John Travolta uh, fan, fanatic movie? I, I did. Because I haven't seen it yet. I loved it. Is it should I watch it?
2: I'm, it? That depends on what you're into. I mean, I loved it because it's fucking bad. Like, in a way that I was just, like, very, I like, uh, uh, I mean, as you can tell by the the subjects I I cover, I like very unselfaware and guys with, like, really big egos that are very dumb. And that movie is so clearly directed by a man that uh, has a huge ego and is also very dumb and uh, just let everything just sort of happen. I loved it. But th- again, that's, that's my thing. Like I, I, I can't get enough of that shit. I don't, I don't know why like really confident dumb guys are the thing that I'm most attracted to covering in this world, but
1: I, that's just the way
0: it is. Maybe it's because you grew up uh, knowing so many of them or something. Well, I was I one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, we've all
1: been one but here in this, in this podcast yeah. for sure. And, um, no, and I also think it's funny. Um, one of the things that you guys have done commentary tracks on was the uh, this one of my favorite like m- movies, which is kind of in line with what you're describing with this Fred Durst movie, the uh, some kind of monster, uh, the uh, Metallica <laughs> movie, where they they get therapy and do all this like they air all this dirty laundry so they can go and make one of the most infamously like uh not exactly appreciated albums no. of all time. It's,
2: it's fucking bad. That yeah. album
0: <laughs> sucks. Yeah. Oh my god. Just the
1: just the, the trash can drum sound alone has like enough to make me turn it off like 15 seconds in. I honestly
2: right and I, I I uh 2020 is the year of heavy metal for me. I've been listening to like I've been going back to actually listen to metal that I missed uh growing up that I was very turned off to because I didn't always listen to metal. When I was younger, I was like really into hip hop and rap, until about the ninth grade, when I got really into uh, uh, alternative rock to impress a girl, Mm. and then uh, I got way into metal, and uh, but it was all new metal and Pantera, but you know, like it was just this like very specific subsection of metal that I moved away from it for over a decade. And then in the past year, I've just been like, you know what? Maybe I should. I had never even listened to Master of Puppets before until this year. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I should listen to Master of Puppets. And I really liked it. So then I listened to uh, um, Ride the Lightning. And, and now I've just been, now I've been listening to Typo Negative for a solid month. All of Danzig's old stuff. Like, I just, I'm really into it right now. I think it matches the world perfectly, Yeah, no,
1: 1,000%. I remember, like, uh, days before my office closed and, like, we started, you know, working from home and I was, like, freaking out about the whole pandemic thing because I didn't think that they were reacting quickly enough. Um, I was getting freaked out because they were being very flippant about it. They didn't seem to want to, like, recognize the reality that, you know, we should be taking precautionary measures. And um, the only thing that was getting me through it was Megadeth's album, Rust in Peace. Yeah. Which is absolutely a classic of, like, that, <laughs> like, thrash, thrash metal genre. And... Um, I've seen I've seen Dave Mustaine play that thing all the way through, which or you know Megadeth with he's like the only I think him and the bassist like the only original members left in there, but uh, and he's of course you know a born again Christian who sometimes won't oh, do his his con, his songs about like <laughs> Satanism or whatever from back in the day, but uh, yeah it was like the perfect soundtrack to just like the world is ending I need to I, like I need something that matches that mood for sure.
2: Man, I, I'll tell you what, like just going back to that day uh, where the NBA sort of was canceled i was a week and a half out from my first tour in uh 2020 uh and it was such a weird time because uh me and brett were like let's take five months off We, we we took uh we got back on like november 11th from our last tour and then we were like we're gonna stay home until april and then the first week of april we're gonna go out we're not fucking coming home until the end of the year and uh I still remember on the day, even after the uh, NBA canceled, sitting there and going like, well, I mean, I hate to cancel shows.
0: You know? yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, so- but you put so much into planning these things, you know, like, uh, like uh, li- listen, like booking stuff and like uh, like event spaces and just all of the advertising, whatever, all the shit you guys have to do. I understand that there was like, um, you couldn't just like turn that off in your brain in an instant.
2: Yeah, you. All, I also have kind of. Uh, I've been in therapy since quarantine started. I started it, and it's like I've sort of tied all my success into touring, mm. which is like can be very disastrous. You know, most of the time we sell out, but uh, the times we don't, it's like oh, we're the whole thing's fucking going down, man. It's over. So for you'll me. feel like that
0: even in like in like a small market. You'll feel like shit if you don't fill a room in like you know, a, a, you know. Ex, uh you know small town small city
2: yeah i feel bad i mean i feel bad when we do fill a room so it's just kinda, <laughs> it just depends on where i'm at that day but uh if we fill a room and the the it isn't as loud as i want it to be or as rowdy as i want it to be it's like uh we fucked that one up you know and uh i've just tied up a lot into that and uh i miss it quite a bit but uh I mean, you know, they keep saying podcast listens are down, but our numbers have still been going up during this. So I I don't really know. I I guess because we're not an NPR podcast, we're directly listener supported. Yeah, well, those Uh, people
1: have competition now that, you know, is more organic and authentic, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, to whatever small number, our our listens are up as well during this whole thing. So um, I think that's a general trend amongst like independent stuff.
2: I yeah I think it's also just because people aren't passionate about uh, an NPR podcast the way they're not they gonna are. pay
0: give it money th- to hear an extra episode <laughs> yeah. like never because these organizations are underwritten by like billionaires in like the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation you know like it's not it, it, there's no like Ira Glass like. You're you don't feel like he's like someone you want to just give money to, you know? <laughs>
2: it doesn't feel like they're. I, I mean, for me at least, the the front page of iTunes podcasts, uh, it's always
0: shit. Those top ten lists, Brian, at the end of the year, right? They never have anyone. Maybe they have Chapo sometimes, you know, in like the yeah. big publications, but like never anyone who's doing cool work in this circle. And I could name twenty of them, you know. Yeah,
2: they don't uh, care all that much about like an independent sort the independent spirit i think also you know a thing about chapo that probably annoys them and it's it's sort of the same with us even is like we we aren't taking ads and like none of us are like taking none of us are dying to take corporate money you know and uh, i think that makes it very hard to uh get on the apple front page And uh, I also just think that, like, uh, um, I I also just think that, like, our listeners care and want to be there. They want to be there every week and hear what we have to say. Whereas, like, with, with, I don't know, with Ira Glass, it's like, this is just how radio, this is just radio. Radio's been this way since forever ago.
0: Can I tell you when I stopped listening to uh, Ira Glass? It was maybe like two years ago, and I when I was not I was already kind of listening like once a year. You know, I, I liked him maybe in early in college, but he did an episode where he tried to disprove that the Ferguson activists are are being killed. Like, Jesus, <laughs> it was it was pretty fucked up. And then I was like, yeah, done with that forever. So. They're, they're, they're like, they said they act all liberal and like goody two shoes, but they're kind of insidious at times too.
2: Yeah. NPR is weird because they, they are definitely not liberal, but, uh. Oh,
0: I have friends who work there who aren't allowed to post about what's going on. Like, that's like a comp, that's like comp, like from the, from the head honcho. Like you cannot, I don't even know if they're allowed to post like black lives matter.
2: Right. And, and it, it people think it's the real news cause it's boring, you know?
0: Like, it's like, oh yeah. fuck, they would never
2: do this if it wasn't real you know
0: (laughs) so why is it important for um street fight you know in any podcast uh you know to stay independent other than what you just said like what does the independence like allow you to do because patreon seems like they don't really care what you do so yeah what's what does the independence do for you
2: i mean it means that nobody can tell us what to talk about you know and and what not to talk about and i don't know how much that goes on and like corporate radio and stuff like that. But, I mean, even if you have a sponsor, you can't talk shit about that sponsor, you know? And uh, it just, there's no handcuffs on what we do. We can say anything we want to say. And uh, mostly get away with it, you know? And uh, for us, it was always very much, um, we wanted to do an edgy show, and uh, we didn't want to do the same old edgy shit, and we wanted to be able to, you know, be anti-american and and like encourage people to steal from their jobs and like burn
0: the flag i mean i heard brett mention that the other day i was like god it's it's refreshing to that that's even you know allowed to be discussed yeah we wanted to be allowed to do that stuff
1: yeah or even just talking about like uh average kind of Dealing with a job that you don't like, you're not invested in the outcome, and, uh, you know, talking about the things like monkey wrenching, or, I mean, I, I love on all the call-in shows when you get people, um, I mean, for the listeners who don't know about Street Fights call-in shows, every Sunday they do a, uh, a show where people can call in, and frequently they're talking, sometimes you guys will put a theme, but frequently they're just talking about, like, a lot of times it's people who are working like really late shifts, you know, late into like a Sunday night, and they're just talking about like the average things at work that they go through and even talk like hearing about it from people who are from like working different kinds of jobs or jobs that like I've never worked. There is always this like commonality of like not just beyond just like basic resentment of your boss, like just the like little things you do to like get yourself through a shift, like staggering your like smoke break or something like that, or like having little treats that you give yourself at like points in the day. Like I just I relate to it so much because, um, like I, I I work in a I work in a law firm now. I'm a paralegal, but I was, um, I was service industry through like all of college and then after college for a while before I started working in the stuff that I do now. And, um, it's just like he, or even just something like as basic as like the the thing you tweeted today about um you're you were talking about the cuz now there's this big story with cops are convinced that people are poisoning their food and there was the cop that got you know he's like oh i they, like I, I got a tampon in my starbucks and it's because i used my police credit union credit card and you were tweeting saying no one ever looks at a fucking credit card in a service industry job no one is at starbucks <laughs> Can knows what kind of card you swipe. You just swipe it. The only thing you notice is if it doesn't go through, and then you have to be like, "Give me another card." I'm not sitting there reading people's cards like, "Oh, you've got the." Uh, I see you've got the Chase Sapphire. That's a that's a great card. It gets you two percent back. Like that's never happening. I'll go one step further and say, I don't think many people know what the police credit union is. <laughs> No idea. I did not know it existed. <laughs> I didn't know they had a
0: credit card.
1: <laughs> I, 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 you know, in, in D.C., the Navy Federal Credit Union is a big, the big thing. But, no, I had no idea that police had their own credit unions, let alone credit cards attached to the unions. Yeah.
2: So, it was like, it, that's such a bullshit. They're poisoning themselves. They're tainting their stuff. And they're not even poisoning themselves. They're too cowardly to even do that.
1: Yeah, that's right. With the, with the, sh- the Shake Shack milkshake shake cops in new york or whatever who said that they
0: they said they put bleach in it <laughs> like they had just bleach laying around and they tried to like murder the cops with it in a shake shack
1: maybe the brave shake shack people were trying to inoculate
0: the police against coronavirus you never know oh that's actually very very uh, uh generous of them
2: going further into the shake shack thing uh they went to the fucking hospital <laughs> <laughs> knowing that they didn't get their Bleach in their shake, like they they went to the hospital they, wasted, they
0: took up the beds, they took up hospital beds, you're saying yes, like that's in that's but that's what they do right because that's what blue lives matter is right it's basically saying like we do whatever we want and fuck you,
2: yeah, well, the media will also cover any of these right away uncritically yeah. like like you will see this cop found a tampon and his frappuccino will. Will inevitably make it out there and then you'll find out it's a lie, but it's too late because people already accepted it as truth. The same thing happened with the guy that uh, said somebody took a bite out of his hamburger. And then when they found out that, nope, the hamburger was wrapped and that he took the first bite, he said, oh, I forgot I took a bite. (laughs) Or the guy that said that uh, uh, they put dirt on his whopper, but he ate the whole thing so he couldn't prove it.
1: <laughs> no, that's absolute hog culture. That's the exact kind of thing we want to talk about here. And um, no, and it's funny you mentioned the um, like the fact that the, the the Shake Shack milkshake cops or whatever went to a hospital and literally just like kind of wasted the hospital's time because they weren't even really sick and they knew this. Like during COVID, dur- there's COVID people there. exactly. They're lying. They were actually
2: telling a lie. And they were like, we got to fucking go to the hospital, though, so people believe that it really happened, okay? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, we love work stoppages here, but not for, like, that reason. I mean, (laughs) wasting company time is not something you do at the hospital. That's, like, crucial shit. But um...
2: I'll tell you why I hate this. It's because they catch a bunch of uh, 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 service workers up in their bullshit, you know? Mm -hmm. Like- Uh, Service workers are like already make almost nothing. The manager never takes their side and uh, they just get screamed at by customers all fucking day. And then these cops come in and pretend like they got poisoned by them. And then they have to rope off the fucking restaurant and get, you know, get interrogated by the police and then their manager has to say we're going to suspend you for a few days while we figure out what happened and we watch the video and like conservatives are 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 calling them pieces of shit every chance they get and it's like uh, uh fuck these cops like they wonder why we all hate them, yeah. and it's that's part of yeah. the reason,
0: you know. <laughs> well, no, they did the same thing when people remember the one where it was like, oh, she wrote a mean name on my yes, cup,
1: pigs, pigs, on the coffee cup. <laughs> Yeah. And they're, and yeah, like, like you said, they're going after like one of the most vulnerable populations of workers. I mean, service workers frequently are like, don't have a full-time gig, frequently doing multiple part-time gigs, um, frequently not getting, you know, not getting paid what they deserve. I remember it was so funny talking to, um, People at my, like, liberal people at my office and stuff, when um, in D.C. they were doing that, the referendum on whether or not service workers should get tipped, like, or, or, or tipped workers should get 15 an hour. And Jose Andres and, like, all these other uh, restaurant owners in D.C. were all up against it. And they literally lobbied to overturn the referendum when it passed and succeeded. But... Um, the whole time people were like yeah i mean it's like this uh, I, you got to side with the restaurant workers they want to get tips and stuff like that because that was the narrative that the the you know minimum wage would take away their tips or something i remember talking to a few of them and being like who do you think has like more Um, capital and like stuff to organize a movement against this. Do you think that who has money behind them? Like the restaurant owners or the individual workers? Don't you think the individual workers just would see this as like a guaranteed raise? Don't you think that the restaurant owners are the ones who see this as like cutting into their profits and they're actually the ones who have the money to like mobilize against this. There wasn't much of a movement in favor of it, um, but it still passed anyway. And then once it did pass by a solid margin, uh, the you know those restaurant owners like lobbied the mayor Muriel Bowser who sounds like a cartoon villain to uh, overturn Bowser. it unilaterally. <laughs> and um, you know we end up with like just having something that like was voted in popularly being overturned by like the least democratic means possible. And yeah, I, I don't know. The, right. so the cops going throwing those people under the bus really gets under my skin.
2: Right, that tipped thing, that that D.C. ballot initiative, I knew some people, I mean, a bunch of the people that worked on that uh, listened to our show, and we even, I think, did a show, a live show there around that time. And, uh, you know, talking to them, and even just in my brain, as soon as I heard this, um, and I heard that people were kind of saying it would be bad for the workers, the first thing I thought was like, well, yeah, you could go to like, and this is what, the press does most of the time too. You could go to like uh, 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 maybe a bar in a fancy hotel and ask the guy that's working around the ca- behind the counter if he would like to have you know fifteen dollars an hour instead of tips, and he'd be like, "No, I don't because people fucking spend a bunch of money here and I get a bunch of money and fucking tips. But the average worker, their tips are coming out of a fucking tip jar at the counter that people may or may not put a dollar in or their change after they buy something, and they're splitting it with, like, eight people, you know? I worked a job, uh, a minimum-wage job with tips, like, four years ago, and uh, most days I left with, like, $8 in tips after a six-hour shift.
0: (sighs) Yeah, I mean... Service workers are now, I believe, the largest percentage of like, you know, the war- the jobs. Yeah. Is that that's right.
2: I mean, yeah, and you know what? And during the industrial revolution and in 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 the early labor movement, factory worker was like one of the m- main jobs in the country. And people said, "Oh, you got to be a fucking idiot to work in a factory. That's why we shouldn't pay them very well." And and now they're like Oh, well, to work at a factory, you got to be a fucking real smart person. <laughs> but uh, to work at McDonald's, you got to be an idiot. So that's why we don't pay them well. You right. know? And- They'll always find a way that the job that most people are doing doesn't deserve to make good money.
1: And then it makes me think, like, okay, so you think that this is such an unskilled job. Why would you eat food that comes out of it if you think that like any any jackass is making your food? They do, like it is difficult to make and cook food. I've done it. There's a lot of like regulations and rules you have to follow because you could kill someone pretty easily. So the fact that they think it's so unskilled is like I, I don't know. It's clearly a disconnect, and it's just meant to like shit on poor people. But still,
2: they also say it's for teens. But if that were true, they would close a lot earlier, and they wouldn't be open during school hours. I would think, you know, if these are jobs for teens.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, working at one of those places when you're a teen uh, can be a certainly traumatizing experience, especially, you know, the amount of, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm,
2: my daughter's not working until.
0: D- yeah, would you want your daughter working like at the night shift at Burger King?
2: No. <laughs> I would. I don't want her working anywhere where her manager's going to be a 20-year-old dude, you know. <laughs>
1: that was something that i came had to come around to as a because i started working when i was like like 13 14 and um i was really resentful you know dan and i are from like the same area i was resentful of like rich kids in our area and the burbs who like didn't like their parents you know had enough money to give them spending money like i had a like you know single mother and everything i didn't want i felt like like i needed to work in order to have like money in my pocket to like hang out with these like rich kids who's like parents would give them money and I resented them for it. But I was, as I got older, I was like, you know, actually that wouldn't, that's fine. Like, it's good that you didn't have to work starting at age 14. Like starting to work at age 14 really messed with me. It made it harder for me to like get my schoolwork done. It made it, I don't know. It made me like, um, it made me feel like I had to like surrender my time in order to like have, you know, it was basic things. And like, it, it was something I kind of had to do at the time, but it's something where, I don't know, I guess when I think if I'm going to have kids, i initially if you'd ask me I would be like oh yeah they've got to get a job as soon as they can but now I'm like no I really don't want them to have to <laughs> work like at the time I thought working was cool I was like oh great putting money on the table I'm like a real man it's like no you're not you're fifteen years old you make like eight dollars and these six seven dollars an hour like what you're not do it's it's not glamorous you're being exploited by like a you know and then you develop this weird like dad relationship with your the manager there and stuff like that it's it's totally wrong and I I don't know it's like def- definitely come around on as an adult they
2: they take advantage of you because you don't really know what you can get away with and what your rights are Mm -hmm. when you're a teenager number one and number two uh i went to school for sociology and um one of the things they said is that like one of the main uh things that leads to juvenile delinquency is having a job because you're hanging around with older people and uh you have more money and uh you know, you can get your hands on more stuff. You know, you can get drugs very easily, because that's how I got all my weed guys and stuff when well, I was in high school. Was Absolutely. Hanging, I would
1: always have them drop off to me at the restaurant. <laughs> I was just yeah. like,
0: I'm
1: going to be here for hours. I mean, you know, you're going to be late anyway. You might as well do it while I'm at this place. Stuck yeah. here. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, it, and it, Brian, I wanted to say, you coined the term small business tyrants, which, like, I think changed the way I think about everything, <laughs> like, uh, in that world. Like... You, I think you coined that, right? We, yeah, we did. <laughs> I, I just think it's so important to say, like, small business tyrants run this fucking country and the, a lot of fucking people work for them. They so.
2: elected the president. They elected yeah. the president,
0: baby. <laughs> that wasn't fucking workers. That was their bosses that mm-hmm. elected him. Who owned, like, a pool uh, supply store or, like, a car dealership or something. Yeah,
2: jet ski <laughs> store. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um Let's let's shift to talking about Columbus, Brian, because I, I want to hear everything. Like, what was it like when the protest started, and has has it changed? Like, what what should we know? What should our listeners know? Sam and I are are in New York and D.C., so we we want to learn more about what's going on in the Midwest. So, so please tell uh, us.
2: Well, Columbus has a particularly bad police department. Although every city has a particularly bad police department but the uh fraternal order of the police have a headquarters here in columbus ohio and they see us as sort of a last stand kind of place where uh they don't want to give any ground you know so uh basically we've had a lot of uh, uh young black men killed in this city and the cops have gotten off over and over again there's henry green who, who uh uh Henry Green, Jeron Thomas, uh, there was a sex worker uh, last year that a undercover detective killed, uh, and I'm fucking blanking on her name. but uh, Tamir Rice is an Ohio kid. He was Cleveland though. And um, you know, there's never been any accountability for it. Exactly the opposite, actually. They usually ruled that the police were justified in using this lethal force. Uh, our mayor is a Democrat. So I think that on day one, we expect, I think, a lot of liberal-type people hit the streets. Uh, I, I went, too, and uh, I think they expected a, a nice, orderly thing.
0: A woman's march-type event?
2: <laughs> right. But what they didn't know is when you're protesting the police, the police hate that. And uh, uh, so it just sort of kept escalating. The police escalated it that night and got everybody ended up going home. But the next day, more people showed up. Police escalated even worse the next day. They they uh, uh, I saw macing kids like little kids and shit like that.
0: Were they tear gassing? Uh, Was Columbus one of the places where they were tear gassing and then the tear gas was just going into people's houses?
2: Not a lot of people live downtown here. Uh, but they tear gassed okay. us, yeah. The, me, my wife, and my kid all got tear gassed. And Brett. And oh my, uh, my my uh, my niece. All, all of us were out there, and we all got tear gassed. We all got hit by the police. We all got maced. They were throwing flashbangs. It was really chaotic and uh, very nasty. The police were fucking nasty. They were running their horse into people, and they
0: were just kind of in dis- Wait, wait, like galloping the horse into a crowd? Yeah,
2: they would just come flying towards you, people would sort of get out of the way, but they were using the horse as kind of like a ram to push people back. And um it just was going and going and going. The windows all the, all the windows downtown are boarded up and there's murals on them now. Uh uh but people have been just slowly sort of dropping off. And uh there's a lot less people up there now than there were at the beginning. And uh, the police are escalating again. They're kind of trying to uh, uh, end this now. They feel like, Mm. you know, we've gotten to this point where less people are showing up. I think we can end this thing. So they started brutalizing people again on Sunday. Now, our mayor said you're not allowed to use pepper spray or tear gas anymore. But the police said, well, we're still going to use it. What are you going to fucking do about it?
0: (laughs) It's just like the chokehold thing, right? It's like they say no chokehold, but that means nothing. They're, they're going to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah,
2: all, and all they have to say, really, in a court of public opinion, all they really have to say is, uh, well, I felt like my life was at risk, so I had to put a guy in handcuffs in a chokehold.
0: I guess uh, we wanted to also just get a sense of, yeah, the, so over time, it's gotten, it's escalated. It's gotten worse. You would say
2: I think the police have gotten worse. I I wish people would come downtown like if if you're in Columbus and you listen, you know, go try to get down there once or twice a week. You don't have to go every day. It doesn't have to be like a thing. You just uh, I try to get down there once or twice a week and see what's going on. Uh, Just try to be like another body out there for uh, uh, the police to beat up (laughs) so (laughs) that they don't beat up somebody that doesn't deserve it,
0: I guess. Yeah, I, I myself was uh, kettled with a bunch of people at, outside the Barclays Center, the first uh, big protest there, and um, I stepped out of the crowd, and then the pepper spray like came out immediately, and it was like it, it, when you see that stuff. Uh, so anyone listening, if you're in Columbus, if you're in New York, like you gotta get you, like. It's important that you see this stuff because it's not going to be shown on, like, CNN or whatever. I mean, sometimes they, sometimes they show it, or I guess, but, I mean, like...
2: Well, they generally justify it when they show it, too, you
0: know? De Blasio said it was fine to drive a car into a, into a crowd of protesters, uh, an NYPD car. I mean, that's the yeah, mayor these, of the city.
2: These mayors are, I think, afraid of the police unions. I, I, I don't know if it's physically that they're afraid of them. They must hold some sort of political clout in town, where not to be too new
0: York-y, but they did they like doxed uh Bill de blasio's daughter,
2: yeah, because yeah. she like
0: went to a went to a protest, so it's like they'll they'll do fucking anything they're they're savages,
2: yeah, they don't care, they're a gang, they are like they are exactly a gang that really only this is gonna sound like i I did this on purpose, but it's not, but they really only serve to protect themselves, you know it's like a uh it's like a gang that uh is constantly just working to uh uh establish more turf and to protect uh their space in the world. And uh it's sort of our job to try to I don't even know how you appeal to people if they saw the brutality that's been happening and and they haven't been moved yet. Like I, I'm I'm you know, I have a feeling there are a lot of people that think things are being done but uh that nothing is Nothing's been done yet. Like, we haven't solved this. This isn't, like, over at all. Nothing's happened yet,
0: you know? People, uh, people love the idea of reform without any sort of uh, next steps, you know? And I think that's, like, super counterproductive. Um, I yeah. don't know. Did you see the story about the guy with the, in Columbus where they took his le- prosthetic legs?
2: Yeah, I, well, I was there. Like,
0: well, You were there. Can you tell us about it? Went,
2: I was by it. Well, I mean, I was just, the police had escalated things and there was a, there, I, I wasn't there when the escalation happened. I was walking by in the aftermath of all this when people were asking for the guy's legs back and the police were sort of lined across the street and, uh, uh, they had just sort of, uh, chased everybody off when I walked up on it and, uh. Ironically enough, we're blocking the street. They, they actually said they chased those people off because they were blocking the street and then proceeded to block the street for an hour and a half after the thing happened.
0: Yo, in Brooklyn, when they kettled us, um, they just stood in the street and like blocked traffic, even though they said it was to get us to not block traffic. So I guess that's nationwide. I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I mean they
2: can just do whatever they want. That's the fucking that's why people are fighting them right now is that it's like well you can't just do whatever you want and they're kind of insisting which is wild. They're they're basically saying, "Well yeah, we we like we can do what we want, but also we're the victims in all of this."
1: <laughs> yeah, in um in DC yesterday, they uh they kettled people right on the corner, like the part of 16th Street that has been, you know, the part right in front of the White House that has been renamed Black Lives Matter Plaza. And Muriel Bowser did a whole show and tell about painting the mural on the street and everything. And then just yesterday, I'm seeing clips of people getting like uh, getting uh, pepper sprayed and the whole nine yards and like, beaten right on that turf. So it, it to me, that's almost like, Oh, you think you can retake these streets? Like, we'll show you what we think of that. It's like, it is genuine. It is like, uh, like, like what ga- we say gangs do. It's like ter- turf wars and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, and what we
2: say gangs do is also a lot of that is bullshit in order mm. that was used in order to get the cops, the weapons that they have now that they're using to beat us up
0: for. Fucking, dude, they're giving them Humvees and shit. Like, uh, like M- MRAPs. What are those things called? Uh, like, They wouldn't even able to fucking drive them. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Ohio State University campus has a tank. Like, what could they possibly fucking need a tank for at a a university uh, police department?
1: Oh, man. I'm thinking of, like, the one kid, like, smoking a joint on campus, like, under a tree. And then he looks over and sees a tank rolling (laughs) up.
0: Just, like, lowering lowering the thing that shoots you. Like the artillery, uh, yeah, the artillery oh whatever goodness. it's called. I mean, That's when something. the
2: National Guard came into town, they basically guarded uh, uh, the banks and then a weed dispensary. And it was like, okay, now we know like exactly what you guys value. And yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah. we would have taken that dispensary down because it sucks. I hate that dispensary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Too overpriced?
2: Ah uh, yeah, it's downtown. It's overpriced. They're always out of shit, and I think they're just like, "Well, we're the only one downtown, so <laughs> you got to come here." Yeah.
0: Uh, um Yeah, and I guess do you think the protests have been co-opted at all? Maybe not the yeah. downtown ones, but yeah. I think Sa- Sam has seen that a lot in DC, like like br- sort of brunch protesters, I think we've called them in the past.
1: Yeah, I've um uh, so I mean like a little personal stuff like I I, um, I got married two weeks ago in my living room and then we went and took photos um, like couple, I live near DuPont Circle in DC and we took photos uh, outside of a hotel because they were like we don't have any business anyway you might as well come take the photos they didn't charge us and you know they had like a pretty flower wall and stuff. And it's right on DuPont Circle, and there's, like, a demonstration gathering there. And we – I I wasn't, like – I didn't want to do, like, what that one couple did where they, like, literally got married at the protest. I was just, like, <laughs> all right. I don't want, like, all these random people seeing this and everything. But um, but I was looking over while we are getting the photos taken, and there's one cop there. And, you know, COVID-19 is still going on. He's not wearing a mask. He's handing out pride bracelets to people. This one couple was, like, letting him pet their dog. And I was like, okay, what exactly do you think these protests are about? Because, you know, in a couple of minutes, there—if if you do one wrong thing, or more than a few people do one wrong thing in the eyes of the police, it's not going to take much for them to start clubbing you and, like... You know, pull out the riot shields and pull out the pepper spray. Like, it's what do you think this is about? It was just very weird to me.
2: I, you know, the thing uh, I was in a conversation with a friend of mine who was very impressed with their business, the 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 corporation they work for, with their response to these protests and stuff. Like, uh, they had meetings and shit, and they 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 sort of talked about white privilege and stuff. And I was like, but did they like talk about police brutality specifically
0: (laughs) no and they never do they will never use the word police brutality they'll post a juneteenth graphic but they'll never be like huh maybe we should stop doing business with all these like cop things
1: or they'll do what my firm did which is let us leave early on juneteenth but the night before they announced layoffs that disproportionately affected like the black people at my firm it was mostly people who did like office services or like facilities work and they were like overwhelmingly black, they announced that after hours, um, the Thursday before Juneteenth, but still want to make this whole show of like, you know, we're actually recognizing Juneteenth for the first time ever and giving you time off.
2: Yeah, the, 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 a lot of the corporations and, and even the local businesses and businesses here have turned it into like a, uh, you need to love each other sort of thing. <laughs> Everybody should love each other. I don't understand why people are racist and stuff like that. And it, and, and like, it's like, no... Yes, racism is bad and people shouldn't be racist. But we're specifically talking about don't let the police brutalize the black community. That's like right. what the conversation is right now. And you got to get on board.
0: we on Instagram like right when the sh- shit started popping off because I started getting really angry and just being like no, all of you are posting about like my personal biases are such a problem. <laughs> it's like, yes, but that's not what this is about. And so I, I tried to like, you know, with at least friends, I tried to like change some minds, and I think it succeeded. But that was yeah. that was pretty annoying. <laughs>
2: yeah, with me, it's just like we can't, cause if we lose sight of what this is about, then we lose sight. Uh, Americans hate picking sides, and uh, you know, you got to pick a side here. That's just the way it is. Like in yeah, this situation, blue lives matter is, or not,
0: you know, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah
2: you got to choose a side in this one. If you don't, then... I mean, you're not really even doing anything. What are you even doing on the fucking planet,
0: you know? <laughs> Brian, I would be upset if we didn't mention this, but there is a petition seeking to rename the uh, Columbus, Ohio. Obviously, Christopher Columbus, uh, uh, you know, he he did a lot of bad stuff, uh, slave slavery, genocide. Uh. There is a petition now, Brian. I would like your take on this, to rename oh, Columbus, Ohio... Flavortown, because apparently Guy Fieri's from there?
2: Yeah, my guess. Yeah, that is that is what I've heard. I mean, my, my take on this is that uh, uh, I know some of the people that are behind making this kind of push. And uh, uh, what their goal is, or was, was to get people seriously talking about the name of Columbus. And change, sort of, we gotta start talking about, like... It's kind of like saying, like, we should name it Flavortown. And people are like, oh, yeah, we named it, you know, we can't, but we can't name a city Flavortown. And it's like, yeah, but you can see that it has to be renamed.
0: If it's that like makes vi- sense. It's that viral enough kind of kind of story, right? It's like people click on that and be like, they're talking about naming it Flavortown, but then they'll be like, oh, Christopher Columbus did genocide and rape and sl- slavery and was was a terrible yeah. person.
2: It should be renamed, yeah. And, and uh, I think that even they would say that, like, uh the press covering this is like there's a two separate petitions to get our mayor to resign and our police chief to resign and there's a petition to recall our mayor uh also out there and they are not getting the coverage that the Flavor Town <laughs> petition is getting and I think people have been kind of like oh man now I wish I didn't do this sort of
0: thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like maybe like if you didn't do the Flavortown thing, the other stuff it's not, it doesn't mean t- to say the other stuff w- would necessarily get a bunch of coverage, you know? So
2: No, no, they wouldn't have got yeah. coverage at all. But it is just like it's hard because it's like uh, I know somebody who did an interview uh, with a newspaper today where they brought those facts up. All, all of those things up, and then it didn't get printed, and it's kind of like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> we're trying to get the word out.
0: It's like the Washington Redskins. Like, they won't change the name. Like, no. that, that, that Snyder guy is never going to change the name. Some people just love, like, tradition and shit in, in, the, in, uh, the, think, in a way that's, yeah.
2: I think if you named it after the college football team, you could change the name of this city fairly easily i do think that that if you called this like the buckeye buckeye town or something (laughs) i i don't know i i had to workshop it but i'll bet you if you put that up for a vote and you wanted to name this buckeye town or woody hayesville uh uh they would let you change the name of the city (laughs)
1: It is always funny when people get so angry about the, you know, tearing down statues or renaming cities or, you know, bord- here bordering Virginia and like, I, I remember when I-, I used to live in New Orleans and they tore tore down all those Confederate monuments and I was like, that's great and all, but at that time I lived in I lived in Virginia and I was like, if you want to rename everything here that's named after like Stonewall <laughs> Jackson or Robert E. Lee, you're gonna have to change the whole state. But at a certain level, I'm like, okay. For these people, this is kind of it's kind of like a compromise, right? Because we could do what we all want to do, which is just tear the whole thing down and like start over. But you know, maybe we you you want to meet us halfway and just start renaming some stuff to begin with.
0: Yeah. Just change the fucking names. How hard can it be? Sign up, sign up piece of paper.
1: It's kind of a compromise. <laughs> yeah
2: negotiations you you want to start a nego you don't want to do the democrat kind of negotiating where you're like well i've already lost this uh uh bargaining session so uh i will take what you will give me you you want (laughs) to do the kind of negotiating where you say i want the i want to name the city flavor town which is a fucking crazy thing and uh uh then you know talk them down to like I don't know, but you know a lot of people want to name it after the indigenous people that were around here at that time, which uh, don't ask because uh, I'm not that smart.
0: <laughs> I, guess, uh, I guess another thing we wanted to talk about uh, in general was the call-in shows, and what are some of the stories you've heard recently? You know, you said, uh, I-, I heard you say you're trying to be WikiLeaks for company emails, so I guess what, what are, do you, are there any ones that stand out?
2: I, you know what ended up standing out about the company emails more than anything is that like it's these like dipshits managers and guys that own businesses like they're using it as a way to like sort of scratch an entertainer itch, you know, <laughs> which is really uncomfortable because it's a captive audience.
0: Gonna freestyle for my for my for my
2: uh, group yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. There was this guy that worked for a beer distributor. That would send his boss's emails in, you know, he sent a couple in. And this guy wrote, like, an essay with jokes and all kinds of shit. There was a place where the guy was writing quotes from all different sorts of people. And there were some problematic people in the quotes. And, like, they're just, like, these – it really makes you understand that the guy that owns – a fucking i don't know like a uh, a landscaping company uh thinks that they are running a fucking cult but everybody else thinks that they're a fucking dipshit
0: <laughs> yeah it's like all the employees hate you they don't want to hear your opinions about like god knows what people like during during covid and then now it's like even worse it's like i do not want to hear what my racist company thinks about racism
2: yeah I mean, a lot of the COVID stuff was like, you know, hey, you know, isn't there an awful lot of fucking anxiety these days? Isn't there an awful lot of panic? You know, And maybe we should cool down a little bit. Relax. Step back. Realize we're lucky. We're a cashier at a grocery store at a time where grocery stores are the most crucial places on the planet. It's like, yeah, but you didn't like I don't have health care, dude.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's like the essential workers, most of them were working service jobs or, you know, these these jobs that are not. I mean, you know, the high risk. Yeah. High risk grocery stores. I mean, literally like breeding grounds for disease. But
2: and every person in the neighborhood goes to the fucking grocery store, you know. And now it's become this thing where, like, there are certain people in the country who are like, well, I ain't going to wear a mask. You know, I don't want to wear a mask. I think it makes you look stupid. But it's like, a mask isn't there to fucking protect you, you asshole. It's there to protect the other person.
0: It doesn't even protect you. It doesn't keep anything out. You know? Also, just buy a cool looking one. Like, I feel like, I know it's like a corny all right thing. But, like, I feel like the fucking Punisher when I wear one of my masks. Like, it's cool.
2: I have a a corn mask and I have a uh, camouflage mask.
0: Oh, that's great. And uh, I
2: want to buy a Bape mask, but uh, (laughs) that's like later down the road when I have $100 to spend on a mask.
1: Yeah, I think it's with the essential worker thing, especially when it's like people at grocery stores, which is obviously crucially essential right now. We hear all about about all the time about like, you know, these are so they're essential positions. But they're not treated like that. If they're really so essential, like make them full time and give them benefits and give them a raise and stuff. Like if they're actually this crucial that they have to show up, like throw them some hazard pay. They don't even have like health care. Yeah. Right. They want to keep them, they want to keep it as like, they want to say, like, oh, you're essential. We appreciate you. We'll clap for you at 7 p.m. or whatever. But we don't, at the same time, you're still in, like, one of the most precarious jobs possible. And we want to be able to, like, fire you whenever we want and, you know, right to work and all that sort of shit. I
2: feel like there was a profound shift within the first month of uh, lockdown where it stopped being about the service workers and was only about doctors and nurses like the blue angels weren't flying over cities for grocery store workers they were flying over for the nurses which is like the nurses were providing a service and doing a very important thing but like a lot of the people that kept this fucking place running also i guess deserve to have a jet fly over the city for them
0: i guess yeah and we and we could go into that for another fucking hour about how fucking dumb this shit that the scrambling the jets is because i remember the day they did it in new york i was just like so mad i was just like putting my pill over my head kind of shit
1: no and people would gather in like massive you know groups in like the parts that you know they we, we had one of those in dc and like people were like i saw pictures of just like people standing shoulder to shoulder at on the mall and i'm like Okay, you're doing this for healthcare workers, and at the same time, you're like engaging in this risky behavior that is like the reason that the healthcare workers are have to like make this sacrifice.
0: You you text me a picture of that. They weren't social distancing, right?
1: No, not at all. No, no, people here have been like interested in social distancing as a liberal scoldy thing, but once it's like a sunny weekend or something, that shit all goes out the window, and they're like, oh, it's it's okay to have like a cheat day for distancing or whatever. I
2: don't think that. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't think this country can do anything. uh, Basically, like I don't think we should even be a fucking country. No, it's the point. Empire's over. It's done. We can't. We can't. This showed that we don't even have the ability to do nothing.
0: You know, yeah. (laughs) These these smaller countries, uh, the death toll is so much less because they're not full of just fucking like idiots. uh, You know, at all levels of power. Or maybe they are. I don't know. But at least they didn't fucking die at this rate.
1: It goes back to the hog culture thing. I mean, like like you were saying before, like... Um People are like, oh, the what? What's the mask gonna do? It doesn't protect me. It's just for other people and stuff like that. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, again, like if you told people that, like if you wear a a cloth mask, you guaranteed won't get it. People would be, you know, wearing like four or five masks at a time. All the uh, all the MAGA people would have like tactical Punisher masks and everything. But because the mental the You know, in actuality, you wear the mask to protect other people. They're like, I don't want to have to do that. I mean, I'm only, I'm here for myself. We're like a purely individual, individualist country that just, I I don't know. Yeah, not, not built to last for sure. We
2: should be a fucking uh, a bunch of uh, groups of people that uh, are just within arms' reach of, like, if Columbus was able to just be Columbus and not have. Uh, the rest of Ohio weighing in in the suburbs. It would be a fucking magnificent city. It would be a mm-hmm. great city. Uh, uh, the people that live in most of the cities in the in the centers of population are all pretty good people that seem to be uh, not super antisocial and uh, also you know uh, have more left values. Or, or yeah. they're, they value caring for each other, and and part of that is probably because we see each other all the time. I live in the city, of I live in Columbus, like right in the city. You, I mean, if you live by Dupont Circle, you live like right in the in D.C. It's like you see every kind of person. Everybody's like humanized to you in a way because you run into them. Where there's these people from the suburbs that like you know, they, they drive to another suburb to go to work. And the worst part of their day is the day where they get stuck in traffic at the interchange downtown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they don't mm-hmm. ever have to go downtown. They don't ever have to see other people. They, you know, when they go to get their dinner, they go through a drive through and somebody hands it out a window to them. Then they pull into their garage and then they walk into their house from their garage. And, uh, those are people that vote for Trump because those are people that are antisocial. They don't like. They don't see people. They're not exposed to people. Therefore, it's really easy for them to just be like, ah, I don't really fucking care about people.
1: No, I I wanted to mention that um the what like in so we're you know Dan and I are from New Jersey, which is a blue state, but where we're from in Jersey in the suburbs is like really reactionary, like super. And it just kind of showed me um. When I moved, or you know, I moved to New Orleans. I lived in Virginia. Now I live here. I, um, I kind of, especially when I went to New Orleans, I was like, oh my god, I'm moving to a red state, you know. And I've lived my whole life in New Jersey. I was like, oh, it's going to be so wildly different. But I lived in the city there, so it was like it really wasn't that. I don't know. There, it was not like this. It was a culture shift for other reasons, but politically, it wasn't that. It wasn't a big shift. It was honestly like it got more liberal or more like left wing down there because like where you, where we lived in Jersey, it's just people who like self isolate. I mean, they call it white flight for a reason. They're people who are like terrified of, you know, New York city because it's overrun with black people or something. They're not people who are like share that blue state mentality that like liberals in the burbs think that they have.
2: Right. And liberals, again, like the, even the ones in the suburbs, they like tend to be very uncomfortable with poor people and uh you know and yep. he, if you get into a conversation with them, it always comes out you know uh uh yeah. but uh people in the city you know we we see homeless people we 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 walk by we we usually give some kind of money to them if we have it, and uh you know, I'm not saying that everybody in the city's good, I just think that cities have. Uh, more pro-social values, I guess, than the suburbs have
1: very anti-social values. It's like a weird middle point, too, because I think even in like, I don't know, even like amongst people who live in like rural places, they have, if you live like in the town, people know one another, people like have to see one another at the, you know, at, like, the few, like, the, you know, people work for one employer, and they see each other through that, whereas in the burbs, it's so depersonalized, like you said, you drive from one suburb to another, you get stuck in traffic on the way while you're driving yourself, you know, some people maybe carpool, but at the same level, like, yeah, it is just, like, a it's an antisocial experience, like, I, I lived in the suburbs here before I moved into the city, and I, I fucking hated it. it, like, ruined my brain, because I just, like, I, I wouldn't make friends with my neighbors, I wouldn't, like, it was just, like, a... This bizarre kind of like I want to self isolate out you here. Almost I don't know. Don't
2: even look at your neighbors. Like there's this yeah, weird yeah. thing where like if you if you fucking walk outside and your neighbors outside you want to turn around and run back in the house.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, or oh, another thing I noticed so hard when I moved out of the suburbs was like um if you walk more than a mile and more than like half a mile in the suburbs, people think that you're like a, you're like a complete crazy person. They're like, what are you doing on the side of the road and stuff like that in the city? It's obviously not like that at all. Like you see someone walking. If I see someone walking at like 10 p.m. at night around here, I'm like, wow, must have had a long day at the office. That's that's tough, son. If I see like a person walking on the, on the sidewalks in the suburbs after 10 p.m., I'm like, I'm hiding. <laughs> like It's it's just so weirdly different. This guy's
0: probably a fitness freak. He walked. Three blocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just remembering this now, but I was literally, like, walking on the – you know, this was freshman year of college, and I was walking, like, right next to the um the, the elementary school we went to. And, like, this cop, like, shine his lights on us and tried – we were stoned as fuck, but he tried to, like, prove that we were high. And uh, he didn't and let us go, but it was, like – it was, like, it was so weird to have three, you know – teenagers walking in in the in the suburban town yeah it just freaks people
2: they move there because there's not a lot of movement going on at night you know
0: (laughs) yeah and they have these cops who are paid like crazy to you know patrol as if as if they're in a military zone
2: well yeah they i mean they're you know a lot of times in the suburbs they're also there to keep people out (laughs) You know, yeah. so the they, there's an overwhelming police presence because it, you know, it keeps people out that don't want to be around the police.
1: No, growing, where we're from in Jersey, there's so many cops like everywhere. Each like small town has its own police force, and they have like you know the vehicle, like the militarized vehicles, and they get paid a ton of money and all this shit. And like, there's not that much crime up there or anything. Um, that they, you know, would, I, I don't know. There's nothing. Not a lot of violent crime. The thing in the
0: town I grew up in, there was one murder in like the '70s, and that was like it. Yeah, like it's, it's really not happens. bad at all. Yeah.
2: Right there, they'll convince you that that's because. they were there it's not it's not because people just naturally don't want to kill each other
1: no but i definitely noticed like at one point i was like you know where i grew up there's not a lot of black people but there are a lot of cops and then like it took it was just like a, a long process getting out of the burbs and realizing putting two and two together and being like oh yeah they fund the cops to keep black people out of the town right that makes sense now but you know if you're stuck in that mindset and you don't like get out of that bubble then you um, you become you become a hog you become kind of self-satisfied and like you don't question things like that so it's it's
2: very weird that you know a lot of people that grow up in the suburbs, obviously a lot of them end up a good portion of them end up you know going to the city or going out to the country but uh, a lot of them are just like, I just want to live like my parents did you know that's like a <laughs> yeah. common sort of thing that people say is uh, uh, I I just want to do as well as my parents did and it's like uh, uh, they don't look at, you know, you first of all your parents aren't going to tell you when they're fucking broke or they're at the end of their fucking rope with you <laughs> you know <laughs> so like you don't see the bad times anyway, but uh, uh, do your parents seem exceptionally happy to you? Because mine didn't that's why I changed my lifestyle from theirs, you know <laughs>
0: I also wanted to ask you in general, just what's it like being a lefty in the Midwest? Is it because here it's kind of like a, it's you know I'm in Brook, I'm in Flatbush, Brooklyn, you know it's 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 not an extremely gentrified area um, at the moment, but I don't think it's like it, it would be weird to be like an anarchist or a leftist uh, living here. So I mean, do you feel like there's a there's a there's a there's, a, there's a, it's certainly a community, but like what's it like being left in the Midwest?
2: I mean, for me, it's easy because. I make my living, like, in podcasting. And, like, so everybody knows my opinions pretty much when they meet me. And uh, I hang around with mostly people with pretty good politics, you know?
0: But, you know, you, you've, you've been through the school system with your daughter. What's it like with, like, the other parents and the dads and shit? Like, do they, do they engage with you on this stuff or do you kind of just not talk about it? <laughs>
2: uh, you know, I think that they know that I do comedy, And they know that it's vaguely political comedy. And uh, a lot of people just avoid this stuff with me. It's easier. You don't want to hear my opinions on Joe Biden. You don't really want to hear my opinions on Joe Biden. You know, you think you might want to know that. (laughs) Yeah, you think you might want to know that, but you don't. So it's better that they don't even ask. But, like, I fight with my father-in-law. If I go over there, I'll argue with him and shit. It's... I mean, I'm the thing about me is like I'm willing to do the arguing. I don't care. It, it's it doesn't bother me. So uh uh in person. I don't like doing it online very much, but in person it doesn't bother me to have a conversation. You're not going to offend me, you know.
0: So I need some advice. I need some advice. How cuz I have a few conservative relatives who drive me insane, right? So How do I not let their stubbornness and like not listening to me and treating me like a little boy, like not drive me insane? Because I want to be more like you where I can like stand on my two feet, say what I say, and then not feel like not feel like shit when they're just being stupid and won't listen to me. You know,
2: I mean, I go in knowing that, you know, even if I gain any ground here, they're never going to admit that I gained any ground, you know, and you just got to go in with the idea that I'm going to say something that this person is going to take with them tonight when they lay down and they put their head on their pillow, they're going to fucking know that I was right or that I had a, had a point, you know? And, uh, it takes a lot of little moments like that to get you to, you know, somebody changing their mind, even just barely slightly changing their mind. It takes a million little moments.
0: Just trying to get them to vote for Bernie was like, I drove myself insane just being like, how do you not see that this is the most basic thing? And it's not like that was obviously the only thing, but it's like, this is the most basic thing these like, very no- normal, average people can do, but they, they thought it was like some radical shit or something to say everyone deserves basic dignity.
2: Yeah, and it's about... like, it, it, I, I had this conversation with my father-in-law two weeks ago where I, I just kind of said like, listen, you've never had a, what a leftist thinks. You've never had that articulated to you in your life. I, I can guarantee it. And let, you know, sometimes we have conversations and I give you my articulation of like whatever the subject is that we're talking about and it's usually the opposite of yours. And that's that's one time that you get to hear a left perspective but uh, you've never heard a communist on like CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or NPR. No, it's never like go... Van
0: Jones. Yeah. There's, like nobody. There's nobody. Cornell West gets on like once a year. Like there's n- there's l- Michael Moore occasionally. Like there's n- there's not there's, n- there's, n- there's nothing.
2: They never actually go for a left perspective, and you know they might say it's because there aren't very many of them. But I think we're we're slowly proving that there are a lot of them. And that they're going to have to reckon with us at some point. And I think that, like, you always have to realize that, like, these Trump people, they're they're fucking annoying and they suck. You know what I mean? And the Biden, the super Biden people, it's like, yeah, they fucking, they're not very cool, you know? (laughs) Like, uh, but they think they're super smart. And you just got to know in the end, like, I'm just... I just need to make a few points like all I have to do is uh, uh, in wrestling. They call it get my shit in. All I got to do is say the things that I'm here to say and will come out on the other end and uh, maybe I'll change your mind over a period of time. I know I changed my father in law's mind for a period of time, but he moved to Florida and he moved back and he hadn't been in conversation with me He's a Trump guy. But he voted for Obama twice. And uh, I would take a lot of credit. I mean, I can take a lot of credit for, like, having conversations with him in that period of time where, like, he never admitted that I had a point, but uh, I knew that I got him, you know?
0: And moving on from that, um, what can you tell us about your uh, TV project, which uh, Sam and I are both extremely excited about, uh, Means TV, is a budding uh, streaming service for explicitly left-wing, um, and you also mentioned a documentary that's going to be on there. So um, we've, we've, we have we uh, have one or two more things, but could you just tell us uh, anything you can about your TV project coming up?
2: Um, I, all I can say is that the TV show is going to be weird. I, I will say that. And that uh, uh, it's going to be funny. I promise the main goal of Street Fight TV is to be funny. And then the second goal is to sort of get voices out there. We, we hired some writers uh, that are very fucking funny. And we're writing stuff that has never been done on TV because, you know, they don't do stuff like this. So we're writing a pretty pro-worker uh, comedy show. And, uh, you know, it'll do everything we do well. It'll do, uh, you know, it'll do, uh, uh, we'll do a monologue so you'll get to see us talk. We'll do an interview so you'll get to see us talk with a guest and interact with the guest. And then uh, something you've never seen us do, we're going to do sketch comedy and sketches and stuff like that. So it's just something new that we've never done. And uh, we're working on that. And the documentary is the Hellfire congregation tour documentary it was a uh, tour that i did last year that we did with the trillbillies and with district sentinel radio sam's and we went we did like six dates in the south and uh nick from means tv came with us and filmed us the whole time and uh if you like watching me look grumpy and stand next to a bus and smoke when it's 95 degrees, and you're going to love this fucking TV show and this movie.
0: I can't wait to see That's it. That's awesome. Um, that'll be on Means TV.
2: It's been described to me as, like, it'll tell the story of, I hate to say, been, this is not me saying this. It'll tell the story of Street Fight, and it'll show, you know, what we've sort of influenced in in our time. It, it he He wants to talk about, what he perceives as our importance in in the scene, I guess.
1: Cool. I mean, you are, I mean, you, you, may, you may not want to say it yourself, but you are, I think, hugely influential to the scene. Um, but, uh, and I think just like in general, we hear so much criticism of lefties saying like, Oh, you guys are only ever criticizing stuff. You never articulate what it is you want, which obviously isn't true. We're always talking about what we want. It's like the whole point. But um, you know, when you when we talk about like lefty criticisms of uh, mainstream shows or TV that's produced by big networks and you know by capital, for lack of a better word, uh, I think it is very cool that now with like means TV and like and with like the you know lefty kind of like uh, Patreon uh, created content independent content that we're able to show people like okay you want us to you want to see what we want like we can make it and show it to you like come come you know pull up a chair like it's very cool to me i don't know
2: yeah it is it's cool to be able to get this side out there and uh i think i you know i think we're going to be handing out subscriptions like uh uh i think there's going to be a deal when our show launches and uh, uh, I just hope people give us a chance. I, th- I think, like, uh, uh, you know, nobody was doing what we did in radio until we started doing it in radio. And uh, I, I, I hope to do something similar with TV. Like, I hope to do something that people haven't seen before. And uh, uh, so we're working on that.
0: No, oh, it's super exciting, man. Honestly, we're we're excited for for you and to see what what this turns out to be. Because I know, you know, you don't have to ask this kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, it's and again, that's going to be on Means TV. If you don't know what that is, it's a streaming service for the left. Uh, it is just like Netflix for the left, basically. Look it up. Means TV.
2: It's really nice. It's got, I mean, it's got some really good stuff on it. It's not just like people talking about politics. It's got a lot of comedy. It's got a lot of uh, documentaries that are very good. It's even got like feature movies and shit. And and it's it's a good service. I I would recommend it. I I watch it. It's got my buddy the Sams on it. Means Morning News. They do the news. We're
0: fans of the Sams. Yeah. Yeah, we love
2: those guys. So. Uh, they do the morning news there every Thursday. It's really good. And like I said, we're going to be there. The Trillbillies are going to be there. Uh, me, us and the Trillbillies are writing
0: shows now. It's really exciting. Another great podcast, for those who don't know, is the Trillbillies. They're from Appalachia. Spe-
1: specifically Whitesburg, Kentucky, Dan.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. The, I didn't want to say. I forgot the name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Tom's in Lexington now, so uh, you're off the hook. He's a city boy now.
0: Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, it wouldn't feel right to end the show without uh, talking about work a little bit, like our own work stuff. Just a show with you always ends up talking about work history, but – not even just work history, but just kind of, you know, kind of work stuff we've been going through recently, so. Hello, Gavones. If you want to hear these juicy work stories, you're going to have to subscribe to our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash hogplanet, where we'll be posting post-game segments like this and lots of other bonus rewards, and maybe you'll even help us break even on the fucking podcast. Uh, and now back to the show uh, with uh, the wonderful Brian Quimby. But yeah, I, I, I guess um, I don't want to ruin Shocktober for you, so I, I won't say anything else about Sirius, but <laughs> I, uh, I'm very excited to hear what you come up with for uh, this time. Do you, do you know who you're covering yet?
2: Yeah, Opie and Anthony 2, Howard Stern 2, Man Cow 2, uh, Loveline, and Don Imus.
0: Oh, can I say I was so happy you and Felix talked about the um, Hillary Clinton interview that Howard did?
2: Yeah, 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 that was fun. I, that happened like the day, that happened like two days after we finished. Uh, so I, I was so annoyed by it. What,
0: three hours? Three hours she did?
2: yeah. That was something else. <laughs> that was that was very weird for me to listen to.
0: Yikes! Um, all right, we can uh, we can start to wrap things up. Brian, uh, murder Brian on Twitter, Street Fight Radio, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, why don't you tell everyone where where else they can find the show? Because I know you, you blast it out on all the platforms.
2: It's just StreetFightRadio.com is our site, yeah, and uh, that'll get you all the info you need. And then. I do something called the P.O.D. cast. It's P-O-D-K-A-S-T. It's It's uh, me and my buddy John uh, talking
0: about, you know, new metal.
2: So if you're into that sort of thing. And
0: that's John from a Blocked Party podcast, if you like that show.
2: Yeah, yeah. We just talk about a different new metal album every month. We're about to do Disturbed, uh, The Sickness next week. And, uh, uh, you know, people like the show. So go for it. I got some other stuff coming up, but uh, uh, nothing I can really say yet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for us, I want to plug uh, Joe Bags, who does all the music for the show, SoundCloud.com/slash Joseph S. Bags. Uh, he writes great stuff. You're gonna hear it on that as we play it out. Um, Sam, we have a, we have an Instagram account that we're actually using now for the show. So can we plug it?
1: Yeah. No, that's right. At uh, Hog Planet Podcast on Instagram find all kinds of great content. We're also Dan and I are doing like weekly streams on there, which is very fun to get that kind of live radio feel in on it. You know, we're looking at expanding into other, uh, into other platinums uh, platforms, but for now uh, definitely like that's our, our newest baby. So uh, check out hog planet podcast on Instagram.
0: And again, follow me on Twitter at Spaventacular and you can follow Sam at wag And I, yeah, I want to just thank Brian so much for joining us and giving us so much time tonight because he, he's the best. I mean, clearly we're fans, so it was really awesome to talk to you.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a good time, guys.
0: All right, uh, I think that's it. This is Hog Planet. <laughs>